Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Welcome to episode 158 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your host, Sarah D. Bunting, and with me, as always, is my host, Mark Blankenship. How's it going, Mark? <laughs> good sarah <laughs> i just That's got a, a new dog, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's it's episode 158 let's just go with it <laughs> <laughs> the point is we don't know up is down left is right songs are poems poems are food i don't know i don't either um you know who i bet does know uh is Joni mitchell and that's who we're talking about today uh specifically her song help me from Court and Spark. Uh, this was inspired by a listener request from Holden L., who actually wanted us to talk about A Case of You. But I kind of felt like we should talk about a track from Court and Spark because I own that album and have loved it since buying it. Uh, because I read an article in which Madonna said that she was inspired by it, or maybe it was some unauthorized biography of her. And just the thought of like Madonna in her teenage bedroom. Um, like lying on her back, talking on the phone and listening to Court and Spark was like, so it, it sort of didn't make sense. And yet it made perfect sense. Like, I, I love Madonna, but relatable to my life is not often a mode in which my admiration travels. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of a neat thing to find out. Uh, and I, I really do love that whole album and I think that it is unbelievably evocative of, and I don't know how it does this, um, a certain quality of light of Mm. the 1970s, um, a a Sunday afternoon feeling. Uh, So let's play a clip and then Mark, I'd like to talk to you about what you feel about the song, but also how you think it creates certain sense uh, sensory uh, images that are not sound, if that makes any sense. It does. Uh, fortunately, I agree with you. <laughs> I was like, I don't think it does that. End of episode. Mark and <laughs> like, Sarah talk about, about songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our shortest episode yet, always keeping you guessing. Uh, all right, here's a clip from Help Me, and then we will continue talking. much she gets into that last phrase we love our loving but not like we love our freedom mm. there is that feeling of like uh that you have to be quote the cool girl about this sort of very 70s mature relationship in which you you love this man but you you can't get his full attention uh so that's very concise encapsulation of that feeling um orally there is that feeling of just like 
bumming around on a Sunday and you're kind of like walking past the phone occasionally and then sometimes you just turn it over kids ask your parents you turn it over and you're like the bell still works right like you flick you flick it with your finger this happened to a friend um and here's another thing that I love she has amazing um breath control just like control of her instrument that I think Mm -hmm. is perhaps an underrated aspect of the Joni myth um that long good sort of in a in a later part of the song that uh she just sort of swoops she swoops up to it but it's not like she's trying to hit it like she knows exactly what she's doing Mm -hmm. but there's also an emotional control to this song that it's kind of rueful and disappointed but not to an operatic degree like there is a it's not like dark blue Mm -hmm. it's like just blue um fittingly for her um it's about a particular significant but not tragic bad feeling Mm. and it doesn't try to be any more than that like it 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 has perspective about itself and i have always loved this song and loved the sensory moment that it creates with sound but listening to it for this episode i was really struck by the craftsmanship and um control or not control but um modesty Mm. maybe that's not quite the word i'm looking for but that she's like this is you know this is this moment and i'm not going to make it any more or less than what it is i really i'm done talking now I really respond to what you're saying about it being a modest song in the sense that the level of heartbreak is modest. Right. Because I think that really nails it. There's, but for one thing, I just don't feel like that a song can have the wordplay that a song like this has and be completely devastated somehow. Help me. I think I'm falling in love with you. There's just something sort of, (laughs) uh, enjoyably clever about that it seems like the singer is enjoying her wordplay which means that she's sad but she's gonna be fine and yeah and then there's also in the bridge of the song you're saying that made me think about the lyric in the bridge didn't it feel good we were sitting there talking or lying there not talking didn't it feel good and that either means the good the good yeah and it just goes on for a while and you're like damn like i try to sing along with it and i always fall out (laughs) (laughs) but that either means lying there not talking we were just lying there on the grass or on the couch having a comfortable silence or we were lying there not talking because we were having sex yes either way i think it works either way but it also just again gets at the fact that there is sadness but strength in the song and i really think that encapsulates why it's so pleasant to listen to well gosh one of the reasons why it's so pleasant to listen to um i just think that she is someone who can create emotional terrain that not every singer songwriter can create and the fact that she does it here in a manner that seems so effortless is one of the reasons i have always found this song so beguiling and I also agree that her very elastic vocal performance, which again seems effortless in the way that she sings it, yeah, makes as it this tends song to. 
But it makes this song so compelling because she's doing all of this shading and providing all of this nuance with her singing to make the lyric feel even more sly to me. Sly wink is the the thing I keep coming back to about this song and its vibe. And it's, again, because yeah, of the lyrics and the vocal. Herself. Yeah. Which is amazing that she's sort of like, you know what? I shouldn't be fall Like, what I'm really doing is falling in lust with this person who yeah. is not a good, like, emotional long-term match for me. And she says about herself, when I get that crazy feeling, I know I'm in trouble again, which is so exact in its inexactitude. Yes. It's like the perfect pop lyric in that way. But the narrator, for lack of a better term, is... um like she's feeling these things, but she's also not taking herself too seriously in those feelings. And yet she's taking her job of narration seriously enough that she's okay. My notes have the words Jackie rice moment in it. Here's what that means. Um, years and years ago, I went to the, uh, American, uh, the museum of American folklore, I think it's called. It's oh yeah, near Lincoln Center, or it used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was a, it it was just like a a sort of outsider art and found art and folkloric art about Jackie Robinson. I'm gonna say this was on some anniversary of his breaking the color barrier in baseball, and one of the items, which was like stored in a bunch of lucite boxes with a bunch of magnifying glasses arrayed around it so that you could actually see it was a single grain of rice on which an artist with a single hair badger hair brush had painted um this like quadruptic of key moments in jackie robinson's life holy crap and uh the the sort of placard that was on it was like this might seem like a this might seem like sort of a you know lot of effort to go to for you know this tiny thing that you can't see and then they were just talking about like the principle of uh, that the commitment to creation is part of the art and uh this song made me think of that that this Hmm. is a sort of a slice of your um emotional life at a certain age and time but and it's like, well, why, you know, why just do this song and confine it to this moment? Well, because the commitment to creation is part of the art, but also by making it very specific, then it's universal, which is, you know, good good rule of thumb for creators, I find. Mm-hmm. So this, this brought me, and also it was in uh, Dark Blue Ink, which related i guess but that just made me think of um the jackie robinson grain of rice that um and then i went to this exhibit with my dad and then there was a talk after with uh like roger angel and various other baseball writers and um we went to dinner after and we were just like talking about the grain of rice and we still talk about it Mm. but it's like someone did that so if I may say back to you what I'm understanding you to say as that relates to this song, because I think I'm with you, it, <laughs> it's taking something, making something exquisitely detailed in a way that feels simultaneously small and large. Yes. Yeah. 
totally and right. It might not seem. I mean, this is not the like bombastic. You know, my heart is actually literally physically ripped into two pieces, and it's sitting on the counter. And as I die, I'm writing this song. Kind mm-hmm. of level. So then the listener might wonder why why commit this amount of thought narrative thought and control to a moment that is relatively small or m- not mundane but just like more medium size why why like, create why why sculpt a beautiful song out of a moment you know you're going to get through even while you're experiencing it yeah but yeah. also then what better moment yeah I think is that, I mean, I will not speak for the, um, the artist, the rice artists, um, motivations. Uh, maybe it was just one of those things that well, you he, know, you could was like, well, I can, so I'm gonna, but you could make the argument that that is when we have reached a true level of artistic awakening or we're awake to the artistry of our own lives is when we can see the beauty in throwaway moments. When we can see the beauty in transitional moments. If you can see the beauty in riding the elevator up from one floor to the next and not only see the beauty on either floor, then you've reached some sort of deep level of awareness of your own life. So in that sense, this is exactly the type of thing that we should want a great artist like Joni Mitchell to be writing songs about because maybe she is one of the handful of popular musicians who actually knows how to pull something honest out of these transitional moments. I think that's right. And I think, I mean, well, all right. I was hoping I could get through this whole episode without the phrase liminal space, but fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I got a brand and that's it. Um, It it also brings to mind now that we're talking about this, Jason Isbell, who Hmm. I think is very good at, capturing at putting things in motion into still life mm-hmm. i think that i would say that vampires is a lot about that is about trying to not free something in amber but it's like if only we could free mm-hmm. this in amber but we can't because it's momentum is what makes it this moment this moment That makes me now think about last night when Andrew and I were watching bootleg episodes of The Amazing Race Canada on a (laughs) daily motion app on our Apple TV. Thank thank God you got I was like about to blunder into some Derrida and that would be so bad. So thank you. (laughs) Please, please bring it back to uh, Tar Canada. So we're watching it and I just had this overwhelming sense of loving my life and my marriage in that moment of just watching dumb bootleg reality shows on TV. And it's making me think now about this whole conversation. And I was kind of toppled by it for a second and had to pause it. And (laughs) I had to do what I sometimes call with Andrew, a snug attack, which means I'm going to snuggle you now and you can't do anything about it. So I had to do a full snug attack in the middle of watching this TV show because there's just something about those moments of no big deal-ness that are so hard to achieve with someone. And, and, and when you get there with them, it's really huge. And I know that we're veering away now from Joni Mitchell's subject of 
a relationship that's fucking her up and into a relationship that actually worked quite well. But there is, it's making me think again about just wanting to appreciate the, the transitional, the liminal that, that there can be something really beautiful in them. And I think that both of us have been in the state that this song describes um, in my case with, I would say, significantly less sang Freud and sense of humor about things. But um, I think that because we have traveled through that moment ourselves that's mm-hmm. described in this song to where we are now that, th- you know, my husband, <laughs> I tried to tell him not to do this because diner coleslaw, <laughs> it's a minefield. But you know, we'll be eating some takeout from the diner and he doesn't just like eat it with a fork from the cup. He shoots it. <laughs> and it doesn't always go well because it's like really packed in there. And so then sometimes there's like, <laughs> then I'm like, do I arms above your head for safety? But it's, it's so predictable. And so Dan, and yes. there I have had similar moments to the one you just described where I look over and I hear the tapping of the little cup against his bottom teeth that he's trying to get the shot of coleslaw out. And it's like, this is both um, intensely dowdy and extremely lovable at the same time. And how, you know, how many um, of the, how many of this song did I have to go through to find, to find him so Uh, you know he showed up so yeah i think it is basically a hopeful song but it's also allowing itself to sulk a little bit about this douche that she's like well the the sex is great but you're not the guy well and this gets me this is way far afield but here we go talking about live that's talking about (laughs) far afield estates um so far afield that the mail only comes once a week (laughs) <laughs> and the preacher only only does his circuit through our part of town uh once a month so everybody has to and get he's married so yeah he's also the judge and the um guy who sharpens the knives yes so <laughs> all of the marriages and funerals have to happen on the 12th of the month yeah and that's also the only day that you can get your knife sharpened but talking about the shooting of coleslaw and how seeing that it's happening is so overwhelmingly wonderful makes me think about something that I first really articulated for myself when I was about to get married, which is that I feel like marriage is so often about becoming the curator of the world's most specific museum in that <laughs> yeah. you're the only person who really observes all of these things about your spouse and it's wonderful. I mean, I you're you're like the one person in the world who contains the reference materials about Dan's coleslaw shooting <laughs> habits. And no, whenever I am confronted with one thing or something about Andrew that I really am the only one that's privy to, I feel so much love because it's such a privilege to be with someone and to know them on that level and to to the curator of the quirks and specificities of another person and to be the sole curator is really special. Yeah, I agree. And it goes back to, as it so often does, uh, when we're talking about why songs are the world of two, um, 
because it's either about the world of two, it's about the uh, journey towards the world of two, it's about the sad departure from the world of two with a bandana tied to a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world of two museum is is absolutely, you know, if I were like interviewed, like so. The Museum of Dan Brady has a question about the frequency of his haircuts, and it's like every eight months. I try. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I yes, I just don't understand this Samson thing. That he's got. He just doesn't care. Is why that's that's the bottom line. The things that you learn, yes, as the curator. Um, and I, I will also add, I am not surprised at all that Joni took us in all these different directions, um, philosophical and emotional, because she does that. Joni Mitchell, uh, almost alone among all artists, I feel like, can, without seeming to, again, try at all, make you contemplate the entirety of your mortality. And (laughs) I want to take a, I want to take a second uh, to talk about the orchestration of this song. And I think it's so important that the bubbling jazzy horns are in this song. Yes. Because they also add to the knowledge that it's going to be okay. You know, how can you be that upset about anybody being kind of a dickhead boyfriend when you've got this, track underneath you that's just so effervescent and there's a confidence in the way that Joni Mitchell wields jazz sounds in a popular song that I also really appreciate and there are a couple of places where she seems almost out of breath it's Joni Mitchell so she isn't um but especially when she's in her upper register uh what I don't know about um like the music here is a lot but uh (laughs) that she begins with help me and then there's a beautiful harmony there Mm -hmm. um and it reflects that she's falling um and it manages not to be on the nose because she does it like immediately somehow so it's like Mm -hmm. here's what we're doing here everybody pay attention but then she spends a lot of time in the upper register which would to me suggest um happiness hopefulness optimism uh and then she kind of comes down a little bit in the transitions to the chorus and crams a lot of lyrics in i I mean just the way that it's built even if there were no lyrics i feel like you would get a rough sense of what the emotion was so this is the um absolute talk about marriage like this marriage of lyrics and the way they travel through the the music is amazing yeah it's really true um i my one complaint with this song (laughs) as graham chase said it was like the you know the perfect rose with a one thorn or whatever yes oh my god because patty had one zit (laughs) in high in all of high school like i've had two in the last week i'm fucking 46 years old when does it end um is that by the way is, can we just pause to say that you just made without acknowledge you all you said was graham chase and i immediately knew the scene you were talking uh-huh. about that's another reason that this pod marriage works <laughs> we're you know add that one to the uh, curation for uh, for us swab 
It's just the word. Just swab. Swab. (laughs) She's not wrong. She is not wrong. Uh, Here's my issue. Uh, Because Joni Mitchell's ridiculous elastic range um, is mostly high. I mean, there's a lot of Joni Mitchell songs that I'm just like bumbling around down in the Junior Brown range, like because I have to just key it down like two full octaves so that I can actually sing along with it. So it's like Frank Sinatra, you know, smoking some tea and trying to sing Joni Mitchell at a cabaret. No, no, girl. Um, that's my only uh, complaint is that some of the lyrics, it's like that's. I think only dogs can hear that. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, I. I really loved taking this song that has just been accepted in my life as a small, like, piece of genius, like a Jackie grain of rice, for years and years, decades, uh, and really looking at why I feel this closeness with it so thanks holden i hope that uh i mean look we're apparently never going to stop doing this podcast so maybe in the you know 300s we will get back to a case of you or rank one of her albums but in the meantime i hope this suffices and i just want to say fun final chart fact this is Joni mitchell's only top 10 hit on the hot 100 and she is an epitome of the concept that chart placement and cultural placement are not always the same. That is bonkers. How high did it get? Number seven. And it, you know, I wouldn't have guessed that it was this one, but, and I wouldn't have guessed that it was only this one, but that, I guess that pleases me, but that is boggling. Good chart fact. And when you look at the songs that were, really topping the charts in the mid seventies, half of them are now consigned (laughs) to the dustbin of history as they say, but this song and Joni Mitchell, of course, as an individual soldier on. So I'm just glad that Joni Mitchell had at least one top 10 hit. And I'm glad that it is perhaps for some people who will now hear it on oldies radio or some such thing can be an entry into her entire catalog and listeners if you are not familiar with Joni Mitchell and are listening this deep into our Joni Mitchell episode well first god bless you but also let me heartily (laughs) recommend that you seek out more of her work because Joni Mitchell in the early to mid 70s is about as good as it gets yeah that's true and actually this whole album i think is a good place to start with her if you're sort of um received ideas about her like oh it's sort of like hippie rhythm guitar yeah like i mean it can be that that's not totally wrong but a there's a place for that and b it's really a lot more than that and court and spark is uh very like sophisticated and appealing and is not going to sort of there are a couple of albums where like there's a seven minute song where she's singing about this cactus that she's driven by a few times and like you kind of need to work up to that maybe that's just me (laughs) like kajira that you're like what where are you yeah like we i feel like around arizona for like an hour what is going on (laughs) and how much peyote did you ingest before you wrote this particular song okay and and that the answer is zero is not helpful necessarily (laughs) it actually makes it more upsetting somehow 
<laughs> I, I do think that we could do a symposium on how the same artist created the album Blue and the album Court and Spark. Yeah, we could. Uh, because then we could talk about how the... Okay, I'm, I, I have to back up. This is not the time or the place. <laughs> but one day I mean, we will... It is one day. It's just not the time. The time, right. One day we will get to my lengthy exegesis about how the same person who wrote Carrie also wrote Raised on Robbery and how I think those songs are in some sort of spiritual conversation with, with one another. And I think it's the weirdest crackpot theory that only I have ever had. But there we are. Well, I look forward to exploring that with you. Uh, <laughs> but until then, talk to you guys next time. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash And as always, thank you for listening. Talk about songs, talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.